Hello to my listeners. This is Pastor Randy Starkey. I did these teachings on the end times and the return of Christ in several series several years ago when I was pastoring at Victory Church in Peavely, Missouri. One third of the Bible is prophecy, so we really need to be familiar with it, especially as it relates to our soon coming future. Although a few of my comments in some of these messages may be a bit dated, and a few of my ideas are still developing, the truth of God's Word never changes. And there are at least three things that I remain strongly convinced of. All three of these I will touch on in these messages. So number one is this. The prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally in real life and in real time. So I have no doubt the prophecies concerning the end times and the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled in exactly the same way in real life and in real time as the Bible describes. I believe it is a huge mistake to spiritualize away end time prophecy. The books of Daniel and Revelation are for sure filled with symbolism, but those symbols represent real events that are going to happen in real time. And it's all getting closer. And number two, I believe God's people will be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord before God's wrath is poured out on the terrible sin and evil in our world. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says Jesus delivers us, not just protects us, delivers us from God's wrath to come. However, I don't believe that will exempt us from Satan's wrath and persecution of true believers and the revealing of Antichrist before the rapture happens. That persecution and pressure we are actually beginning to see happen even now. That is why Jesus said things like we must endure to the end, be ready, watch and pray, don't be deceived, and that we must be about our Father's business and not draw back. And then finally, number three is this. God is not done with Israel. Jesus was Jewish. God loves the Jewish people and the land of Israel. When Jesus returns, that's actually where he's going to land, on the Mount of Olives. There's much to say about Israel and the Middle East, and all of that is coming very fast. And so, I, as I said, I will cover all three of these points in these messages. And these are things that we need not be afraid of when we have surrendered our heart and life to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we're walking close to Him. We have His direction, His guidance, His love, His grace, His power. And the Bible even says, look up, for your redemption draws nigh. However, in these days, we all need to be walking really close to Jesus. And let me say a word to any of you listening today that maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe you've even been hurt in church, or maybe it's been all religion to you. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And Jesus wants you to know him. He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. He is the only way that you can get to heaven. None of us can be good enough on our own. He is the only way to really experience victory in your life and be prepared for eternity. He left heaven, came to earth, gave his life on the cross for you, shed his blood for you that you could be saved and be forgiven. The Bible says there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. He's the true Savior. So I pray you will open your heart to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to forgive your sins so that you can be ready when he returns. It's really not a pretty picture and there is much to be afraid of because God is God and sin must be dealt with. And so without Jesus, we really are in a world of hurt. So open your heart to him today. Hey, a good way to find out more about that, just go over to our church, Victory Church here in Peavely. And uh, uh, they have an awesome, uh, Pastors Dan and Paige Lord are doing a great job. There's an awesome little book there you can pick up free called Fresh Start. It will give you everything that you need to get you going on your walk with Jesus. So all of this is why we must not only be saved, but be spiritually strong, awake, alert, and serving God. That's why I did these teachings. We have to stay strong in Jesus to know what's coming soon in the end times. And like Noah built the ark to the saving of his household, we must stay close to Jesus in the building of his church because the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And that is our forever family. So listen carefully and then check it all out in the Bible for yourself. God's love and blessings to each of you as you dive into these teachings. Amen. Open our Bibles, if we would, to... We're going to get into Revelation a little quicker tonight. I laid a lot of foundations last week. And um, we're going to pick it back up where we left off in chapter 6. Um, and we're talking about the scroll which is the first very powerful um, picture that we see here relating to the end times. I did have a couple of people, you know, the whole concept of Daniel's 70th week might be a little new to some of you perhaps if, if you weren't in my Daniel Bible study or maybe you've never um, had any uh, classes or Bible studies, you know, on the last days. So uh, I just want to just... In a, in a very small capsule, try to just hit this again. And, I, and and we'll be hitting it more as we go through. But the whole idea is Daniel's prophecy said there would be 70 weeks determined for his people. Well, of course, at that time, there was no church. You know, it was just Israel, okay? And so <clears throat> he said it would be 69 sevens. You know, it's translated a lot of times in, in our Bibles, weeks, but it literally in the Hebrew, it's sevens. And a seven in Hebrew could, could, it could be days, it, it could be years. In this particular case, it's obviously years. So um, it's periods of seven. And uh, prophetically, 
it's prophetic years here. So, and a, and a, a Jewish year was 360 days. So we have 69 weeks, and, and we, we saw that that literally was fulfilled. Historically, this is absolutely accurate, okay? So from the time that that prophecy went forth to the rebuilding of Jerusalem until Jesus was crucified was exactly, exactly 69 sevens of years, which is 483 years. But um, he, they said it would be seven, the prophet said it would be 70 sevens until um, the fullness of righteousness came in. So that left one seven or one week or one seven-year period unaccounted for. And so, uh, you know, and of course, if you were looking at Daniel's prophecy back then, you would have no way of understanding where that last week went to. Well, where you and I stand looking back, you know, we see that that final week uh, was interrupted by the church age primarily because Israel rejected Christ. And of course, you know, the Spirit, of course, prophesying through Daniel, knew uh, that that would happen, but, you know, it wasn't fully expounded upon, you know, in the book of Daniel. And, of course, now that you and I are in the church age and, and all these years have gone by, we can see what's happening. And, of course, when Jesus came on the scene, he started saying things like, uh, well, before we get to Revelation, let's just, before we go to chapter 6, let's just go one, real quickly to Matthew 23 and 24. Let's just pick up one statement of Jesus here, uh, which he was talking to the Jews at this time, talking to Israel, and he said, you know, at the end of verse chapter 23, pick it up in verse 37, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often... I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And see, as a nation, they didn't say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord at that time. So I guess you could say, technically, theoretically, Daniel's 70th week, could be right here had had Israel responded. They could have gone right into the kingdom age, but of course the Lord knew that that wasn't going to happen. And how many of you know God's never caught off guard? <laughs> you know, and he'll always bring he'll he'll always take a bad thing and he'll turn it around and use it for good, always, you know. So obviously, we talked about this last week how when Israel rejected Christ, it, you know, what happened was it then opened the door for the Gentiles. God began to work in the church age to touch the Gentiles, and he actually says in Romans 11, he's going to use that to make the Jewish people jealous, you know, to, to let them see what they're missing, you know, in terms of their relationship with God. So this final week, this final seven-year period, which is called uh, by most Christian scholars Daniel's 70th week, that is really yet to happen, okay? And that's what the whole book of Revelation is all about is Daniel's 70th week. So like I said, it's all theoretically to say that this could have happened here had Israel responded. I guess theoretically you could say it could happen, but, you know, it could have happened, but obviously there was so much prophecy already. It's kind of like, could Judas have, have not, uh, could Judas have not betrayed the Lord? Well, there was prophecy all the way back in Psalm 69 that he was going to. He didn't have to. Of course, obviously he didn't know, he didn't pay attention to that because it was like the Lord already knew what he was going to do. So the Lord already knew that Israel was going to reject Christ. The Lord already knew that was his plan to open it up to the Gentiles. But, um, you know, 
there was 69 weeks of sevens up to here, the 69 sevens, and then that was when Christ was crucified, and then he didn't say, didn't say when the 70th week was going to happen. Just didn't say, you know. And, uh, but uh, there is, you know, we see little glimpses in, uh, into it in the book of Daniel, but we really now, as we get into Revelation, we're going to really see what this 70th week of Daniel is all about. And I just want to say again, I think I touched on it last time, that uh, I don't see any reason. I'm not saying it's going to, but I, I and, and the Scripture, you know, we're, we're told we're not going to know the, the day or the hour, but I can't see anything scripturally that would keep Daniel's 70th week from starting in our lifetime. It could happen. And if you look at the, what's happening in the world today, you just get a sense, don't you, that it's getting closer and closer. So anyway, uh, and, and the Lord is working in the church, but, but, but a lot of people think that all the prophecies related to Israel and the Old Covenant are somehow spiritualized now, and they only apply to the church. God never said that. I mean, he is not an Indian giving God. He, he made some promises to Israel, and I'm going to tell you right now, he is going to fulfill those promises to Israel, okay? So the covenants that he made with Abraham, the covenants that he made with the Davidic kingdom, uh, those are going to come to pass here. He is going to fulfill um, his promises to Israel. So he just, you know, he, what happened was because Israel rejected Christ, it opened the door to those of us that are Gentiles. How many of you are glad for that? You know, those of you that are Gentiles. And uh, so, you know, uh, it opened the door for us. But, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't quit, um, quit. He hasn't given up on Israel. You know, and he's, this whole 70th week period will have a lot to do with bringing Israel to their true Messiah. In fact, let me, let, <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm doing it already. All right, turn to Romans real quickly. Just, just let's go to Romans chapter 11 real quickly. Real quickly, let's go around verse, just because I, I, those of you that are unfamiliar with this 70th week concept, I just want you to get just a little bit more of it. Um, verse 24 says, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, the Gentiles, and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, which was Israel, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Many, many Jewish people today still oppose the gospel of Christ. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So in other words, God's hand is still on them. He hasn't rejected them. When it says all Israel is going to be saved, that... Again, that's talking about the nation and those who will open their heart to God. It's not talking about people. Even a Jew, if a Jewish person rejects the Lord, how many of you know it's the same as if a Gentile person rejects the Lord? You're just rejecting the Lord. But what the Lord is saying here is that he's not done with Israel, okay, and that he is going to fulfill his promises. And as I said last week, Jesus, when he comes back, he is not going to rule from New York. <laughs> he is not going to rule from the United Nations. You know, he is going to rule from Jerusalem. You know, uh, and he when he when he touches down, he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives, okay? You know, it won't be in the Rocky Mountains, 
<laughs> so, so we just, we just kind of need to understand that, that, you know, um, the Lord kind of turned and worked with the Gentiles in the church age, but, uh, and praise God for that, you know, cause, and actually his promise to Abraham was that in him, Genesis 12, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, the Lord didn't particularly want that to happen through their rejecting him, <laughs> but nevertheless, he, his promise was still fulfilled because Christ came out of the nation of Israel, and it was through what Christ did that, um, you know, you and I got saved. Now, the Lord would have rather Israel hung in there the whole time, you know, and, and, and obeyed him, but but he just knew that wouldn't happen, you know. So, uh, but that doesn't mean, you got to understand, it doesn't mean that he's forgotten him or rejected him. How many of you know if you have a child who's away from the Lord and really not living at all like they should, how many of you know that doesn't mean that they're beyond God touching them, you know? So just because somebody is rejecting Christ doesn't mean that God can't move and, and touch them. And for those of you that are Christian parents, and, you know, if you have kids ever in that situation, there's some very powerful promises in the Bible to praying parents. Amen? So, you know, just like there's promises in the Bible to Israel. All right, so back to Revelation. And um, so really, the whole book of Revelation, we're going to see pretty well centers on Daniel's 70th week. And so what I want to do tonight is just take off and read a big chunk of Scripture here and just let it soak in. And um, we are actually going to touch on third week. We're there. We're going to start talking about the rapture. <laughs> That's what everybody loves to hear, right? Wants to hear about it. And actually, it's going to be right in our passage for tonight. So let's bow our heads and pray and just ask the Lord to be with us. All right. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the promises and the awesome truth, Lord, that you give us, that we can walk with you, that, Lord, we can uh, understand, Lord, what's happening, that we're not um, uh, deceived, we're not unaware, but, Lord, we're, we have revelation by your Spirit. We're walking with you, and, and Lord, you're helping us and strengthening us and, and uh, preparing us, Father. And so, Lord, I just ask tonight as we look into your Word that you'd bring revelation and understanding. Help us, Father, to draw closer to you. Not that it's just a, a chart, Lord, but it's something that causes us to fall even more in love with you and, and causes us, Lord, to, uh, to really walk in your ways. And, Father, I just pray that, that you'd refresh and, and bless each and every one here, Lord, however their day went, at work or at home. I just pray let your refreshing come upon them by your Spirit that they could really receive and understand some things from you tonight. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Okay, all right, Revelation chapter 6. Let's just, we're going to read here for a little while, all right? Now, this is the beginning of the opening of the uh, scroll, and I'll say more about that scroll when we're done here. Now, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Remember, there's seven seals on this scroll. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword." When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. 
So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on that was death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. You know, when you realize that these things are literally going to happen, Back to that whole thing of this is not just symbolic, folks. This is literally going to happen upon our earth. It's it's makes it pretty awesome reading. <laughs> All right, verse fourteen. Then the sky receded like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? So six seals have been opened up to this point. Chapter 7, After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, one hundred and 44,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Skip to verse 9. <laughs> okay. All those tribes had 12,000 sealed. Verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. It's always about worshiping God. Saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. So the seventh seal to be broken was the last seal. When that seal was broken, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. You could sort of say God's end-time program was loading. That's what was happening right there. And see, to understand kind of how this scroll works, and then we'll talk more about the seals, take a look on your outline there the picture of, uh, that's a picture of a typical scroll in those days that was sealed. And, you know, if you, back here where we, where we read about the, about the uh, scroll, and uh, it says in chapter 5, verse 1, I saw in the right hand, and by the way, the right hand of God is always the symbol of His power and authority. So He has power and He has authority to wrap up things in the end times. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. All right? So uh, one of the things about scrolls in those days is most of them were written on only one side. It was only the very expensive, the very elaborate, the very special scrolls that were written on both sides. In fact, only certain types of animal skins were actually good enough to have writing on both sides. Most scrolls only had one, two, or three seals. Um, a seven-sealed scroll was highly unusual. It had to be very important and very significant. Uh, in fact, of all the... I forget the name of the museum. I may have written it down here. Of all the scrolls in the... Uh, it's in the Jerusalem Museum, uh, and there's a lot of scrolls there. Um, uh, one particular brother who was over there, he could only find one that had seven seals. So when there's seven seals, you know it's a very important document, very serious, very significant. And uh, you weren't allowed to open that document unless you had the authority or the right, the right to open each of those seals. And sometimes each of those seals would have, they'd be little pieces of clay like you see in the picture, and they'd, they'd be sealed with signet rings, and they would mean different things. And, and you, had to have, you had to be a person of authority or privilege uh, or, or right to be able to open those seals. And we saw last week how Jesus is the only one that has the authority and the right to really bring in, you know, the close of things in the earth. And we saw how John wept, you know, before there 
when uh, when they couldn't find somebody worthy, you know, to open the scrolls. And then we saw that Jesus uh, was worthy. You know, praise God. He was he was the Lamb who had won the victory over sin, and now he's coming back as the Lion of the uh, tribe of Judah. And so through the opening of this scroll, what this is, this is Daniel's 70th week, and it's the bringing in and the culmination of all righteousness. It's really bringing back the rightful rule of Christ to the earth. This, the opening of this scroll is the releasing of God's end-time plan. And um, in fact, the literal Greek there, when it says John wept, it literally means before, before somebody was found worthy, it literally meant he was sobbing uncontrollably. And you know why? Because unless somebody can open this scroll, then this mess continues. But if somebody was found worthy to open the scroll, then guess what? The full plan of God could be completed. The, the covenant promises to Israel could be restored. Um, the, the binding of Satan could take place. The bringing in, as Daniel prophesied, of everlasting righteousness could take place. So the whole, the, it, there's symbolism here, of course, but the whole picture of a scroll with seven seals and you having to be worthy to open it, you know, and Christ coming and opening it, it's just such an awesome picture of him bringing about, you know, the, the final culmination of, uh, of, of you, yeah, I, I like the way to say it this way, cleaning up planet Earth, <laughs> you know, and bringing in everlasting righteousness. So that's, uh, and, and all these seals are on the outside. Sometimes people thought, I'll get you kidding one second. Sometimes people would think that these, that you kept unrolling the scroll and then you'd come to another seal. No, all seven seals were on the outside. And in fact, it says there, it, you know, that it was a scroll um, seal with seven seals. Revelation 5, 1 says, I saw. And, and he saw that it was a scroll. Well, the seals were on the inside. He couldn't see them, could he? So they're on the outside. And so when all seven of those seals are broken, then the rest of the plan can come to pass. One good, one interesting thing about the book of Revelation that will help you with is every once in a while you find these, you just find people that have trouble accepting the word of God at face value. And they want to spiritualize everything, you know. And so you find there is certain similarities between some of the seals and some of the trumpets. Not so much the bowls because they're pretty nasty. <laughs> but, you know, it's like you find certain similarities. And so some people try to make the book of Revelation not consecutive, um, but they try to make it, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the right word here. But, uh, oh, they try to make it concurrent. And, and, and there's just no reason to do that to the Word of God. You know, so none of the trumpets and none of the bowls can happen till all the se- seals are opened. You know, you open the seals and then the scroll opens and then the trumpets and the bowls begin to happen. So there's just a logical progression through the book of Revelation. It's consecutive, you know, and there's only one or two places. Chapter 12 is one. It's a unique chapter where there's a prophetic overview of something much bigger. And, and you just immediately notice it. You just it's not hard to see. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But uh, hopefully that whole picture of the scroll will give you a little bit of a feel that, you know, that this is a literal book and it's, it's happening, you know, consecutively. Yeah, Kitty, you have a question? Is it Daniel's 70th week? And, you know, there's absolutely no one scripture that you could use to actually, quote, prove that. But um, one, one of the things about the, the prophetic word of God is since Daniel said it would be 77s or 70 weeks or 70 times seven years, we know these 69 have been fulfilled. Okay, well, 
everything that's going to happen to deal with Israel and to wrap this whole thing up has to happen in one, one week, one seven. All right? So uh, the Lord's not going to spend a lot of... T- the book of Revelation means apocalypse, and it means an unveiling, and it's definitely dealing with the end times, and we're going to see how it parallels Matthew 24. I'm going to take you there in just a second. But uh, so you can't absolutely prove that uh, the seals relate to- just only to Daniel's 70th week, but um, I would say just following some good logic, I think you could pretty well you know, be satisfied with that. Let me show you how, how one other thing that kind of brings us there. Turn to Matthew, back to Matthew 24, and then we'll pick up some little bit of teaching on those what we just read. But Matthew chapter 24, uh, they, the disciples were asking Jesus, you know, hey, what's going to happen? When, when is all this going to come to pass? And um, now remember the verses we just read in verses 37 to 39 where Jesus said, your house is left to you desolate until you can say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, when is that going to happen? When is Israel going to repent? And when are they going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Not till the 70th week. Not till the 70th week. So Jesus is basically, you know, he didn't get into all the stuff about the church age here, but he basically was speaking to Israel and he said, he said, you're not going to see me again until you can say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then pick it up in chapter 24. It says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So there's a great lesson for us here. How many of you know Jesus is not necessarily impressed with buildings and money? What he's impressed with is what's going on in the hearts of people. Now, he's not against buildings and money because they can be great tools to reach people. But I tell you what, just because an organization is big, how many of you know there's millions of Mormons? And how many of you know they all need Jesus? You know, and there's, I don't know how many Jehovah Witnesses. We know there's millions and billions of Muslims, beautiful mosques, but every single one of them needs Jesus. So buildings... And money don't mean anything. You know, they're tools, great tools. God can prosper us. God can give us whatever we need to do the job. But the real issue is not that, not material things. It's spirituality. All right, verse 3. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Well, when is Jesus going to naturally start talking? If they're asking him that question, I don't think he's going to start talking in the middle of the church age someplace here. I think he's going to start talking right here. Why? Because that is when his coming is going to begin. That's when that's when the end of the age is really going to begin. And that's when he's going to deal with Israel again. Okay, so, I mean, he just he kind of skips over all that, you know, and and actually he didn't even he didn't even the the temple that he was talking about there was destroyed in A.D. 70. But he he seemed to sort of even skip over that. Why did he do that? Because prophetically, the last thing to happen is Daniel's 70th week. That's the one thing that's not fulfilled yet in Daniel's prophecy of bringing in all righteousness. All right? So, you you, you know, um, to try to biblically prove that the first seal absolutely opens on the the first day of of Daniel's 70th week, 
I don't know you could do that, and I, I don't think who cares, you know. But uh, we're going to see, we'll see enough here about the time frame that will uh, cause us to see that Jesus is obviously speaking about this time. All right, so let's talk about it just a little bit, all right? Take out your sheet. You can take, write down a few notes if you want to on that about each of those seals. So we see the first seal, and I started talking about this a little bit last week. The first seal that's opened, the first thing that happens, and, and uh, there is something that happens with each seal. Uh, the first seal there is this conqueror coming out on a white horse, and uh, he, who's, he, he had a bow, and, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, sometimes people, because of the white horse, want to associate this with, with Christ, but actually, I don't think that fits the context of the Scripture very good because there's not any one of these seals that's positive. They're all, they're all trouble that's starting to come to pass on the earth. So there's a conquering mode here, but uh, why is the horse white? Isn't that, you know, why isn't it just some ugh, yucky horse? I'll tell you why, because it's anti-Christ. It looks Christ-like. It looks white, but it isn't. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing is what it is. So, and we see that, uh, and you know, and so from, again, one other thing, you can tie this into the very beginning of the 70th week. We know Daniel's 70th week begins, and we read some of this last week. I'm not going to go read it again. When Antichrist makes a covenant of peace with Israel. Well, what is that? That's when he is starting to rise up. That's when he is beginning to go out and start to conquer. Now, we don't, lot, no, people are not going to know who he is at first, except discerning Christians. They're the only ones that will know. But when he makes that covenant with Israel, that is the beginning of God's time clock for Daniel's 70th week. Now, it's not the beginning of God's time clock for when we get out of here, which you'll see, all right? But uh, it is the beginning of the time clock for Daniel's 70th week. And so uh, take a look on the second sheet of your handout tonight. And I want you to see here how the description of the seals parallel, parallel the things that Jesus said in Matthew 24. Now, I want you to think about this with me, with me for a minute. If Jesus is the author of Matthew 24, which he is, he's the speaker, okay, and if revelation is called the revelation of Jesus Christ, they're both given by Christ. How many of you think Jesus just might, uh, his two sayings, his two teachings might just fit together? You know, he's not schizophrenic. He's not going to say two different things or talk about, you know, he, no, he's going to give us clear understanding. And uh, obviously one is a lecture to the disciples and another is a vision to John. So they're different, but we're going to see the common truth that 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 just weaves through here so take a look there you know we just read about the first seal look at what matthew 24 5 says and that that was this was the very first thing that jesus said to them when they asked about what would be happening in the end times he said take heed that no man deceives you and he said for many will arise in my name saying i am the christ there matthew 24 5 for many shall come in my name saying i am the christ and shall deceive many well the ultimate deceiver is antichrist and what's he going to say I'm the Christ. I'm God, you know. But Jesus also, I believe, is, you know, he says many will come in my name. And one of the things we're going to see immediately uh, on the face of the earth as Daniel's 70th week begins is we're going to start seeing some really strange false prophets and people going around, you know, and it's going to be very important that Christians keep their doctrine and their understanding and their spiritual revelation straight because there's going to be a lot of weird stuff going on, you know. And, of course, the ultimate weird stuff 
will be Antichrist. And he will, his whole goal will be to deceive the whole world, and uh, which he will be quite successful at in those that, that don't know Christ. And, of course, the big thing we need to be doing during that time is preaching the gospel. You know, uh, we still got lots of time, even at the beginning of the seals, to preach the gospel. And so we just need to be doing everything we can. And Paul even taught, like the Thessalonians, he taught them the prophetic scriptures. Remember we read last week, he said, don't you remember when I was with you, I told you these things, you know. So use the scriptures and share Christ and help people to understand. And, you know, really, you just have to go to the heart of the gospel and talk about the fact that we're all sinners, we all need to be saved, and unless we repent and receive Christ as our Savior and ask Him to forgive our sins, you know, that we can't be saved. You know, that, that's the heart of the gospel. And, uh, and really, you know, if somebody, if somebody gets that and they humble themselves before God, you know, uh, and they hang around some good believers, then they can learn everything else, you know. But that's, that's our message, you know. And, and, of course, what's happening today, just look at the news last week, you know, three school shootings, What's happening now, if people don't repent, is guess what? Sin is getting worse. The devil's getting worse. Ungodliness is getting worse. It's just going to keep getting that way, you know. And um, so it's kind of like it used to be you could sort of have some middle ground. But what's happening today is there's almost no middle ground. And that's because the pressure is increasing. And, you know, if you have an empty glass and you put it in a room of one atmosphere and there's smoke in the room, turn the glass upside down, and the smoke probably won't even get in the glass. But if I pressurize the room, if I put pressure on it, spiritual pressure, if that glass, listen to me, this is important, if that glass is not full, the smoke will go in it by default. The pressure. And that's what's going to happen in these end times. If people don't open their hearts to Christ, they are going to be, they are going to be taken over, deceived, and impacted by the devil, whether they like it or not because of the pressure. And so the only answer, you know, the human will can only resist so much. And so the only answer is for people to what? Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Amen. And then guess what? You can get filled with the spirit. (laughs) And then you don't have to worry about all the other garbage, you know, because God's spirit within you will protect you and watch over you. All right. So, so seal one there, you know, is, um, is antichrist himself when he makes that covenant with um, uh, Israel. Let me show you one other thing. Oh, man, I just, I'd li- boy, I'd, there's so many things I'd like to tell you guys. Uh, let me just tell you about it, and you can go read about it. Go read about it in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9. Uh, there's actually a, a passage there where it talks about the ten horns of Antichrist, which is going to be a ten-nation coalition that is going to, pretty much kind of surround the power of Antichrist. Now, it's not just the European Union. I think it could be related to the... There's actually, what, 25 nations now in the European Union. So it's not going to be just, quote, the European Union. But it's going to be nations, and we don't even know exactly which, which nations, although there's, again, some things in Scripture that kind of point to certain nations. But, but uh, there's, there's going to be a 10-nation coalition. But there's something very interesting. It says that there was a little horn that came up. So Antichrist is going to kind of look a little obscure at first. But there was a little horn, and it, and it came up, and it plucked out three other horns by the roots. Now, here's what I want you to think about with me on this. I believe the beginning of Antichrist's manifestation over in Europe we know it's going to be over in Europe because Rome was the, was the, I remember the chart I put up of Daniel. You know, Rome, obviously, the, the final kingdom was, was uh, iron and clay. And uh, so 
that, that's the whole picture there. there the, the Antichrist coalition is going to going to be several different groups, and and uh, there'll be iron, some things that are strong, and there'll be clay, some things that are not as strong, but but they're still going to get together. So we'll talk about that more when we get to chapter thirteen. But anyway, he, it says the little horn plucked up three horns by the roots. I believe the beginning of his, prophetically, the beginning of Antichrist's kingdom will start with three nations, three coalition nations. Now, whether that all comes together before uh, the signing of that, of that covenant, I think it probably will have to. Because otherwise, why would Israel want a covenant with him? He's got to have some power already consolidated. Otherwise, how can he protect them? So there's got to be some power. So we need to be looking prophetically over there in Europe for one man who seems to be not very powerful, but yet somehow is pulling some things together and especially look for a three-nation coalition. And I think we'll begin to see the beginnings of Antichrist's kingdom. Just the beginnings. Isn't that interesting? And so, you know, but it's when he makes that covenant with Israel, that is the beginning of the 70th week. That is, that is the rider on the white horse of seal one. And, of course, spiritually, there will be a lot of deception going on in the earth in those days. All right, take a look at seal two now. Seal two is when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So this seal represents war. You might want to add one more word right next to it is violence. I don't believe it just only has to be wars. I think just violence, you know. And you can all these things, you can sort of sense they're happening already. But what's going to happen at the opening of the seals in Daniel's 70th week where the Lord is going to bring this thing to a close, I believe these riders, the Lord is just saying, okay, I'm just going to let it happen. I'm just going to let mankind take his way. Now, this first first part of, uh, let me draw a bigger thing here. Let's call this Daniel's 70th week. This first part here of these seals, we'll take a look at this in Matthew 24, is the beginning of birth pangs. Okay. Now, we aren't to the hard labor yet. The hard labor is yet to come. But this is the beginning of birth pangs. And really what's happening here is God is taking his hand off things and saying, okay, I'm just going to let mankind run his course and the, 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 the horsemen of the apocalypse are riding. You know? And so what do we have happening? Well, we have spiritual deception. How many of you know God in his grace ever since Christ has done a whole lot to just protect the world and protect us? You know, Well... He, this is the age of grace. Sure. I mean, God wants people to be saved. He's, he's given us a, you know, I mean, there, obviously it's not a perfect world, all kinds of tests and trials, but I believe the grace of God has been poured out. I mean, you know, they, they did some things in the Old Testament and even, even the kingdoms of Babylonia and stuff like that. How many of you know they did some things that we wouldn't even consider doing today? That's just the grace of Christ that, that has protected us in the New Testament age. I think what's going to happen in Daniel's 70th week is the Lord saying, all right, you know, Gentiles, I've given you some time to get saved and become part of my church. You know, now I'm going to come back and deal with Israel. But, but also, time's about up. Time's about up. Okay, we're going to bring this to an end. Everybody's had chances to see what's happening, you know. And so he's letting the horsemen ride. And uh, I would call this time the, uh, let's call this the wrath of man, for lack of a better. This is not... 
This is not God's direct intervention yet. We're not to that part yet. This is just God letting, letting mankind take its course. He's letting, uh, you know, some things happen. And so, you know, things like wars, sin in the human heart, violence in the human heart, and, and it's not, and actually that we, we saw a little bit of a precursor to that in the days of Noah when there was all kinds of violence, you know, and we talked about that whole thing a, a while back. And, um, but anyway, so these horsemen are riding, and it's the beginning of birth pangs. Let's take a look at horse three, seal three. And uh, he says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the th- third living creature say, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. So um, actually, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius in that time was about one day's wage for an average worker. Okay? And a quart of wheat, what's that worth? A loaf of bread? So what he's really saying here is if you make 100 bucks in a day it's 100 bucks a loaf pretty expensive bread. And so what is what is he really talking about here? Famine, food shortages, and let me just put it this way. I, I like to even broaden it a little bit broader, economic problems. Economic problems. So, I mean, do you have a world that is ripe for a leader if number 1 you have religious confusion, seal one. Number two, you have wars. How many of you know already right now? How many of you can sense right now the world's getting a little bit nervous about the wars that are going on right now? You know, they're going, hey, who's going to straighten this mess out? Well, just wait till God takes his hand off and lets the horsemen ride. Oh, yeah. Everybody's really going to be looking for an answer, you know. And so now we add not only religious confusion, not only uh, war, which you could call government and political confusion and corruption, now we had another dimension, economic confusion. And I'll tell you what, the world's getting really ready, aren't they, to, you know, be open for a leader. So, you know, and, and uh, God is just permitting this to run its course because people are going to have to choose. They're going to have to choose whether they're going to follow Christ by faith or whether they're going to follow Antichrist. And so um, you could put famines there. I, I like to broaden it just a little bit, economic confusion. Another thing I believe that could be happening this, during this time in the consolidation of Antichrist's kingdom, because he hasn't really revealed his true nature yet, is he also could be doing some things to consolidate or to to affect food supplies. You know, I mean, uh, he could be... Because later on, we know you're not going to be able to buy or what? Sell without the mark. And so if he's got some economic control, then that just adds more to it. And uh, remember, his whole goal, his whole goal is to... Um, uh, stop Christ from returning, and his whole goal is to corrupt Israel and to corrupt the church so that Christ can't return. That's his whole goal. That was his whole goal back here in, in Noah's day when he, when, when he came in with the Nephilim. That was his whole goal, you know, in trying to, uh, 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 you know, get Israel off track and the whole thing. So he, 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 Satan knows the Scriptures. He just doesn't believe them. <laughs> He's so proud, you know, that he thinks he can somehow defeat them. But uh, he, his whole goal in the 70th week of Daniel is he's going to try to he's going to try to keep Jesus from coming back and try to keep righteousness from coming in. So he's going to do everything he can to deceive the church, deceive Israel, blah blah blah. And I, if you remember last week, and I and I just want to encourage you to to um, uh, 
once again, go back and read that in Second Thessalonians where Paul said, he said, don't let anyone deceive you. The day of the Lord is not going to happen until the man of sin is revealed. If you think you're going out of here before Antichrist is revealed, then I think <laughs> you should rethink it. <laughs> because I don't know what to do other than just read that scripture at face value. Now, you can try to pull all kinds of plans and systems and doctrines out of the air, you know. I mean, do whatever you want to do, you know. But uh, it's just like I think the Lord had to straighten out the church on justification by faith. The Lord had to straighten out the church on sanctification. The Lord had to straighten out the church on baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord's got to straighten out the church on end times. <laughs> and so, you know, and I'm just, and, and just, so you, just so you understand, too, you can, this is not, you know, like to attend victory, you don't have to necessarily believe what I'm teaching you. Now, when you get to the end, you'll find out I was right. But, you know, but, you know, so I want to encourage you to be like the Bereans. It says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They searched the scriptures daily to see if the things Paul said were true. So be a Berean. Don't just be somebody who takes it spoon-fed to you and not, not ever read the Bible for yourself. You know, be a Berean, read the Bible. But I, as I look at it, I just I don't see any way you could get around that scripture at all. You know, sometimes people try to say, well, they're talking about people that are left after the rapture. And I go, well, that's a nice statement, but my Bible doesn't say anything about that. All right? And we're actually, the scriptures we just read, um, let's skip ahead just a little bit. The scriptures we just read in chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number. I mean, there's, they just can't even number them of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing where? Before the throne and before the Lamb. And then John says, where'd they come from, you know? And it, he said, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, what is all of that passage? I mean, all of a sudden, he sees this group of people worshiping God around the throne, and it says they came out of trouble, and they're worshiping God. Now, I don't know how, I, I'm just an engineer with logic that takes things simplistically. But to me, that looks an awful lot like a rapture. I can't find a rapture in the beginning of chapter 4. There's nothing in my Bible. Somebody can say it's there, but I'm from the show me state. Show it to me, you know, prove it to me. Now, I can really see a rapture right here in chapter 7. Because it says, it says here, after these things. What things? After the first six seals. <laughs> so to put it in another context, you're not going anywhere till after the six seals, <laughs> you know, and we'll, we'll put that on this timeline here. And so, man, I think it's just so important, you know, that we take a look at. And again, my whole feeling on this is this, that God is not coming back for a church that's not walking in victory. And really, I don't, you guys all went to school. None of us tend to do good until we have to take the test, right? So it's you know, nothing to be afraid of, you know, because where God guides, God provides. But it's just a matter. This will separate the real from the unreal <laughs> is what this time will do. That's what it will do. It'll, it'll just, and it'll give, here's what else it'll do. It'll give the true church a chance to really rise up and shine forth the power of God. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I just don't want to leave right now. I mean, hey, I miss all the action. I miss all the chance to to help somebody find Christ, you know? And uh, I, you miss a chance to demonstrate the glory 
and the power of God. I don't think God's intimidated. He wasn't intimidated by the, by, uh, by the devil with Job. He's not going to be intimidated with us. Well, Job came out of it pretty good. He got double. That ain't bad. You know. So, what are we afraid of? Don't be afraid of anything. Just realize that we can stand up in any situation because God is greater. So anyway, we'll talk about that. That uh, To me, that's, that's a picture in Revelation of the rapture of the church. You can't even number the multitude. They're from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. They're standing around the throne, and they are described as having come out of great tribulation. Now, we'll put that on this timeline here and, and where that fits because um, you're not going to go all the way to the end of the 70th week. You know, you, you, there's, you, you get to miss out on the trumpets and the bowls. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but you are going to be around a while while Antichrist is doing his thing. All right? And um, I really believe, I'll just jump ahead a little bit. I'll, I'll say more about this later. But I really believe during that time, and I'll show you scripture on this. I, I mean, I get to it tonight. But one of two things will happen to believers that are really walking with the Lord during that time. One of two things, okay? Either God will sovereignly protect you, or you'll be martyred. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, yeah, it's, oh, yeah, you know, it's, but, you know, and here's the thing. Um, if really, if you end up, how many of you heard the story of Stephen? Well, Stephen, you know, you look at Stephen, and he's, he's looking up to heaven, and he's saying, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they do. They're stoning him. He's not going, ooh, ah, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, you don't, you don't read that. You just read. He's just, he's glowing, you know. And here's the thing you got to understand. When you walk with God in obedience, how many of you know there's always grace there for whatever you face? It's when we try to do it in our own that we get in trouble. But when we put our faith and trust in Christ, there's grace there. So, so really, to be honest, I mean, you know, if I'd sit here and talk about it in the natural, you know, I, I'd say, well, man, I think I'd rather just choose the protection instead of the martyrdom. You know, but I don't know. That might be, even though you're protected, it might still be pretty tough years. Maybe I'd rather get out of here earlier. <laughs> you know? And so maybe I'd rather be a witness, you know, with my life. You know what? Here's the bottom line. Just say this. Say, God, your will be done. You know, because if you're in his will, you're, you're going to, you, you know, it's, that's all that counts. But there will be people martyred during that time. There's no question that Christians will be martyred during that time. And I believe it will be a testimony to the power of and love of God. I mean, look at look at it this way. If Christianity can't stand up to death and be victorious in the face of the devil, what's it worth anyway? So it's nothing to be afraid of. You've got to understand that. I think a lot of people too often, particularly in America, they have an escapism type mentality, which is really, it's, it's wussy. You know, it's, it's the defeatist way. It's not a victorious way. If you're going to be an overcomer and all the promises were to overcomers, if you're going to be an overcomer, how many of you know you've got to have something to overcome? You know, so but but it's it's not like um, let's not make it harder than it is. You know, God's grace is there for us. Yes, ma'am. We're getting close to that already. <laughs> you know, where uh, uh, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, Pam, I cannot answer exactly what everything is going to look like. I do know that basically what the scripture says about the reign of Antichrist is that he's going to cause all great and small, you know, uh, to receive the mark if they want to buy and sell. And so now, is that going to look exactly the same in America as it looks in, um, let's say, uh, over in Europe? I, I really, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. You know, 
But uh, as you read through the Scriptures, you do get the sense that somehow he does have power over the entire global economy. And I'm sure you guys realize, how many of you know the world's getting smaller right now? You just, you just sense, you know, that with the, the whole communications and, and um, what's his name, uh, the guy that's head of the United Nations right now. Yeah, yeah, I know. I agree, Nate. Anyway, he just he just got gave his farewell speech, and he said he said I just don't know what we're going to do with all this religious infighting. He said, yeah, he said we're just going to he said we're going to have to come to a, a unity in, in the world and in the whole government. And of course, he said it'll be through the United Nations. It won't be. It's going to end up through Europe through Antichrist. But it's the same spirit, same spirit. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like. But I, I think I think there's a good chance, yeah, that somehow, uh, and really, what what he'll there'll be enough um, there'll be enough deception going on during that time that somehow the martyrdom of Christians will be accepted, you know. And I'm not even sure that that, that, that takes. I mean, demonic power could could definitely do that. But actually, people in the world that th- will think Antichrist is the greatest thing since sliced bread, because number one, he's going to provide for them economically. Hey, when you when you're in this one world, one world system, you have a mark, you're provided for, and not only that, but guess what? All of a sudden, there's peace in the world. You know, I mean, now that we've gotten rid of Israel and and the abomination of desolations happened, we and we really see that they're really the problem. See, yeah, it's them that's causing all the trouble over there. You know, and the people in the world are going to think this guy is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And First Thessalonians said, when they say peace and safety swift destruction is going to come upon them. And that's called the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And, and uh, that's when we're out of here. We're out of here at the beginning of the day of the Lord. And it's going to happen very suddenly. But up till that time, there'll be a lot of Christians being martyred, you know. And, I mean, actually, to be honest, it's happening now. How many of you know over in Sudan, they've literally slaughtered hundreds, I think it's, it's hundreds of thousands, Frank. I think it's in the hundreds of thousands, that Christians and that's the Muslims doing that right now. But you don't hear any great world outcry about that. You've heard the United States saying a few things about it. But you've got other nations that are not even saying that much about it. Well, gosh, if they can kill that many Christians over in Sudan, how many of you know if you've got economic problems, you've got religious problems, you've got uh, uh, war problems, and then all of a sudden you've got a leader who's going to take over the world, and he said, well, the real, yeah, what we, one thing we've got to do to keep peace is get rid of all these religious nuts you know, how many of you know the world's going to go, fine, get rid of them? <laughs> you know, it's not going to be a hard sell. So could I see that happening in the United States too? Yeah, I could. I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but I'm just saying I could see it happen. Oh, yeah, I mean, you can see the spirit of Antichrist already. And, of course, the Apostle John. And Yeah. To speak, it's also illegal to speak out against homosexuality. You can be... You, you can be thrown in jail. Okay, so it's heading toward that. Now, the fourth seal, okay, is the pale horse and rider. He represents death and pestilence, all right? Look at the fourth seal there. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of his who sat on it was death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. It doesn't say they killed a fourth of the earth. It says a fourth of the earth was affected. So it's serious, but yet this is not like total destruction or anything yet. These seals are serious, but life will still go on, okay? 
But Christians that are discerning, especially when we see the covenant made with Israel, we will know that, hey, these are the, in described in, in Matthew 24, these are the beginning of birth pangs. So labor has started. How many of you have kids, right? How many of you know when the water breaks and the labor starts, the clock is running? <laughs> the clock is running. <laughs> and how many of you know the labor pains will get harder? <laughs> all the, all, and every lady said, amen, you know. So it's like uh, that's what's happening, you know. These are the beginning of the birth pangs. And so we have in Matthew 24 there the parallel parallel part of this that, that Jesus said, you know, is uh, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And so the seal is um, kills with a sword, hunger, and, and beasts of the earth. And so it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's probably disease and, um, you know, just more trouble, I guess is a good way to put it, you know. But uh, Jesus used the word pestilence. Uh, and so I think that especially talks about disease, you know, and... Uh, there's actually what's the one kind of waiting in the wings right now um, that nothing's happened with, but they said it could bird flu. Yeah, bird flu. So, you know, when the Lord kind of takes his hand and lets the horseman ride, who knows, you know, what we'll see. We don't know. So those first four seals, um, you know, they're bad, but they're and they will happen into Daniel's 70th week. I, I mean, I believe we're feeling the rumblings of them right now, but we don't see them yet. The four seals have not been opened yet. The, 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 the scroll is not going to be, the seals on the scroll are not going to be open until, I don't believe, until we enter Daniel's 70th week. But we can definitely feel some things happening. Now, take a look at the fifth seal. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 9 there, he said, then. Everybody say, then. So not till after those four. Those four have to happen first. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations including America, for my name's sake. All right, now the fifth seal in Revelation chapter 6 matches that perfectly. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And, you know, those that were already in heaven, they were saying, Lord, how long are you going to wait to judge this whole thing, you know? And the Lord said, wait, there's a few more that got to be martyred yet. There's a few more that are going to give testimony to me. There's a few more that are going to prove that they'll stand for Christ and not for the devil, you know. So there's a period of time where the Lord allows martyrdom to go on. Now, when does that really start? Well, we know in the middle of Daniel's 70th week, the covenant is broken. And that's when Antichrist really reveals who he is. This is all in Daniel 9. And, you know, it's, it's also in, in the, one of the reasons you can know Dan, that Daniel's ninth chapter applies specifically to what we're talking about and specifically to Matthew 24 and specifically the book of Revelation is because Jesus said it did. So in Matthew chapter 24, let's just read one verse there, okay? In he's, Jesus said in verse 15, he says, Therefore, this is right after he talked about, um, uh, let's pick it up in verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So we, we talked about how those previous verses matched up to the first four seals. And then he goes, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. In other words, the true church is going to rise up 
And those that are not the true church will become obvious. So there'll be choices to be made. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You know, we already see the precursor in what's going on in society today. Verse 13, I love verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, has Jesus said anything in here about some kind of secret rapture? Huh? Has he said anything in here that you're just going out before this whole mess starts? I mean, the way I read my Bible, I think if somehow he wanted us to know that, he'd have said it which fits with the book of Revelation. We don't go out till the sixth seal, you know? And uh, we're not here till the end, praise God. <laughs> but, you know, we leave at the sixth seal. We leave at the right time, you know? And so, and why would Jesus say, he that endures to the end would be saved? Now, some people try to make this apply only to Israel. But I just can't, I just don't see that in my Bible. You know, I mean, I think if God was going to make that big of a distinction between the believers in Christ as Gentiles and Israel, he'd tell us. So people that want to invent a secret rapture theory, in my mind, let them go ahead and invent it all they want to. I'm just going to stick to reading my Bible. <laughs> now, I, I may be rattling some of your cages. Some of you may have been taught that all your life. Here's all I would say, you know, it's no big deal other than just I challenge you to rethink it. Okay? I would just challenge you to rethink it, you know, because I think the Scriptures teach something different. And the only concern I would have, I mean, you know, a lot of the people that preach a total pre-tribulation rapture theory, they do tell people to be ready. But I still get concerned about what will happen to all those multitudes of people if all of a sudden they're having to walk through something they've been taught all their life they're not going to have to deal with. And come on, let's be honest about human nature. If you're told you're going to escape everything, how many of you are going to work real hard to get ready? <laughs> you can tell them to be ready all you want. You go, they go, yeah, I'm saved. I'm ready. <laughs> but if all of a sudden you've got to stand in the midst of a hostile world and, and face this dude Antichrist for a while, it may cause you to, woo, think twice, <laughs> you know. All right, so, um, and uh, so Jesus said he didn't, and then he said, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to, the, to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we're, we should be preaching. And then in verse 15, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Now, I love this. Watch what, watch what Matthew put in there. Whoever reads, let him understand. Why did he put that in there? Because he knew, listen to me, he knew you and I would be reading this. That's why he put that in there. The Holy Spirit had him put that in there. He knew there'd be people reading this that it would be very important, you know. So um, it's not just for the Jews there of the moment. It's for all God's people. It's for the church too. And kind of like as we move from this church age, this is like a transition time right here. And uh, when, when we leave out of here, did, did you, I, I'm, I'm out of time. But did you, know, <laughs> did you notice there that the 144,000 that were sealed, those are Jewish people that love God. Now, listen to me real close. God is leaving them here. Why? He's going to use them to witness to Israel. So God has a plan for every part of his plan. And you and I, the church, we're going out after the sixth seal. And both of those were right together, weren't they? I saw the 144,000, the multitude sealed. And then right after that, what did he see? He saw the multitude that no one could number in heaven. And so guess what? As we go up, 
God seals those 144,000, and he's going to use them to reach out to the nation of Israel. And uh, so anyway, we know that that abomination of desolation takes place right here. Well, guess what? That's got to put the fifth seal right there because the fifth seal is persecution. And Antichrist doesn't do any persecution until here. Not till here. Okay? So guess what? Oh, don't you love me? You are still here. (laughs) You are still here. (laughs) But look it. This is number five. Number six is getting closer. (laughs) That's when you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can't do without my Big Mac. (laughs) All right. So... uh, Anyway, I'm going to have to stop there because otherwise I'd just keep you too long. But um, I just want you to kind of see, how, and, and I'll spend some more time on this next time. I did, you know, I, had, I had, uh, had someone ask last week if I'd be willing to do a ninth week of nothing but Q&A. And so I said, you know what, that's a good idea because when I get teaching and I get preaching, I just get rolling, you know. And uh, uh, so I think I'm going to do that. If it works out for my schedule, I'm going to do a ninth week for whoever wants to come, and it's going to be nothing but Q&A. No teaching, just just bring after the whole class is over, all right. And and if you if you still feel like you don't quite get it, well, first of all, probably none of us get it totally. You know, I'm just trying to get you as close as we can. But uh, we'll do a Q and A and and let you um, just ask as many questions as you want to. All right, and we're going to see that the coming of the Lord. There's actually only one one second coming, you know, and. Uh, it's, we'll see how it all happens, and, and the rapture is part of it, and then, then uh, Christ lands on the Mount of Olives over in Israel, and it's just, it just really gets, uh, gets awesome. I will say this. During some of this time, the most important thing we can do is preach the gospel because it gets closer and closer and closer to this, and then people are in this time. You've got to understand something. If they are not saved by the time this deception starts happening and they take the mark, there's no turning back. No turning back. This is decision times, folks. Multitudes, the Bible says, in the valley of decision. That's why the Lord's going to let the church be here a little, little while so we can demonstrate the power and glory of God. Nothing to be afraid of. How many of you know your God's well able to, to keep you and take care of you? You know, sure he is. It's kind of like when you're a kid leaving home. Oh, can I do it? Am I going to be okay at college? Am I going to be able to earn any money? Well, yeah, sure you will. It's a little scary at first, but you'll make it. The same thing is true with the church. If we and and again, I believe God's going to demonstrate His glory through the church. And if you guys, if if the Bible says He's coming back for a, bl- a bride without spot or blemish or wrinkle, have any of you ever seen a wrinkle come out without an iron? Have any of you ever seen a spot come out without a little rubbing? You know. So hey, you know, a little bit of a little bit of pressure is not bad for us. Help shape us up, right? So and then we'll be able to really demonstrate the power and love of God. But during that time, it'll be so important that we share with other people and help them come to know Jesus. Will all of them receive it? Nope. They won't. But will some of them? Yep. A lot of people probably are destined to get saved. And guess what? God's going to use you to help them. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. I pray, Lord, that revelation would continue to come to us. Help us, Lord, out of your word to understand the awesome truths, Lord, of the end times that you've given us. Lord, you gave us whole chapters in the Gospels, and now you've given us a whole book of 22 chapters 
And so, Lord, we just pray, help us to understand it, that we can bring honor and glory to you, that also that we'll be ready. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help, help each person here. It's nothing to be afraid of, but just to know, Lord, that, that um, you want to use us to demonstrate your power and glory, and you're well able to keep us and strengthen us for whatever we might face, Lord. And I thank you that even your power and glory will shine through us and, and, and show that you are greater than all the forces of darkness. So bless your people tonight, Lord. Give them a great night's sleep, good week ahead. <laughs> Lord, just let them say, yes, I, I'm on the inside track of what God's going to do. And, and uh, by God's grace, I'll be ready and be able to help other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Okay, God bless you. Thank you for coming. And um, we'll pick it up right where we left off next week in week four.